Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 12? If it pleases God, we'll finish this chapter today. So we begin in verse 27. Now my soul has been troubled. My soul has been troubled. Tataraktai. Tataro, that's the root. It means to be anguished. It means to be stirred and shaken, anguished, troubled. Now this is the Lord Christ who says to those around him, my soul has been troubled. Christ has just experienced in previous verses and the previous chapter an emotional scene where people that he loved dearly were crushed with emotion because their brother had died, their friend had died, the friend of Jesus had died. God in the flesh, Hebrews tells us he experienced everything that we experience, but without sin. He experiences this crushing grief himself. And who but God in such a moment could reflect upon the fall of man, the death and parting and suffering through the generations and he personally experiences it by standing with the family and then before the tomb of his friend whose body was already decomposing in the grave. For our Lord was there when the judgment was placed upon Adam and his race. The one who asked the woman, Eve, what have you done? Experiencing this emotional moment, possessing the power to bring him forth from the grave, yet knowing that this is the experience of all of Adam's children. He experiences this while his own people are turning against him and will finally nail him to a cross. And he knows this. Now, this might be, some think this may be Wednesday before Friday when he's crucified. He's just in the final hours. And he thinks of the human condition and all that has crushed humanity. We've had no successes. We die. Finally, even the finest human governments ultimately will turn against Jesus. We're experiencing it in our own lives. The world system despises Christ and now religion itself even what should have been 
the religion of heaven, and there is no such thing, but there's Judaism. Of all people, they should have known, and they did not know. They refused to know. They rejected. They would not know. And they are conspiring to kill him. And he's moved from place to place. He's not been in their presence now for a while because he's headed to the cross in the Passover season. And all of this comes down upon him. It's the, it's the spiritual reality of the fall of man and what must be done. The only thing that can be done to reverse it to cure it, to redeem it, is for him to die on the cross. No other remedy. We preach Christ and him crucified. There are no human works to save us. We can do nothing on our own. We can't, even, we can't even join in with Jesus. It must be Jesus and him alone. It is Christ finally who is left alone to go to the cross. With all of this coming upon him, he says, now my soul has been troubled. This is not Gethsemane. This is not yet all that it's going to be. But he knows what it's going to be. Now my soul has been anguished, stirred, shaken, troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But, now you see, the conjunction, the conjunctive is used. To answer the rhetorical question in the negative. No, that's not the answer. But because of this very hour, I came. Father, glorify your name. John started out. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things through him came into existence apart from him. Nothing was made that has been made. And then down, and then it starts to the light. Christ is the light. John was not that light, the Baptist. Then to verse 14, and the word became flesh and we looked upon his glory. The glory even as of an only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 14. Then he goes on, he came to his own and his own received him not. But those who received him, they are the children of light. Now, he's to the final hours of his life. What shall I say? Shall I ask the Father to save me from this? I came for this hour. If I hadn't agreed to it, I wouldn't have ever come in the first place. The Father has given the elect, the elect to his Son. It's a gift, the covenant of grace. And Christ will die for our redemption. We can be redeemed in no other way. There is no other redemption. But because of this very hour, I came. 
Father, glorify your name. The Father will be glorified through what the Son will do. Therefore, a voice came from heaven. I have both glorified it and again I will glorify it. Glorify his name. When Christ was baptized, the voice came from heaven. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The announcement was made because obviously the father would be glorified in what the son would do. The Holy Spirit came upon him. He would perform miracles. He would teach the people of the truth of scripture and of the truth of the Christ, of the truth of sin, of the truth of salvation, of the failure of human works works which reached, reached their epitome in Judaism. And the failure of Judaism, which would take Christ to the cross. Another time on the Mount of Transfiguration, Christ was glorified. His appearance changed. Glory burst forth out from his flesh and his garments shined whiter than snow. There with him were Moses and Elijah, the lawgiver and the greatest of the prophets, law and prophets, Old Testament. The Bible says they were there to inquire of him of his departure in Jerusalem, namely his death. But in that moment, his glory came through. Peter, James, and John were there close by. Peter ignorantly said, tell you what let's do. Let's build three booths, three tents one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Peter made a terrible mistake by equating God, the son, with the law and the prophets. And the father's voice came from heaven. This is my son, hear him. Not these other two. Hear him. I have both glorified it and again, I will glorify it. The father will glorify his name by sending his only begotten son to the cross. The truth of that develops in the coming verses and chapters. There it is. Ah, okay. It's my fault. Pilot error. 
Now the crowd standing around heard this. That was thunder. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, no. It is not because of me that this voice has come, but because of you. There are three great effects of the cross that Christ now declares. Number one, now is the judgment of this world. Nothing in this world can save us. No man-made religion, no scientific discovery, nothing. We are under the curse of the fallen race of Adam, redeemed only by the grace of God because Christ was obedient even to the cross. No other reason. So across history, failure after failure after failure, there's no utopia. There's nothing in this world for us. If this world could save us, Christ would have never gone to the cross. But it cannot. It cannot save us. That Christ would come from heaven and finally go to the cross is proof that this world cannot save us and that this world is under judgment and that the world is given these Two alternatives. Number one, come to Christ and judgment will pass from you because the world is already judged. Or number two, reject Christ and suffer the consequences of the judgment of this world. And that is where Israel is headed. That is where the people of Israel are headed. They are just, they're just today away from that judgment from Christ. This is it. We'll see that in the passage. So number one, the cross tells us that the world has been judged. That everything that the world has done and everything that the world will do apart from Christ seeking out other kingdoms, rising up of other nations, developing their man-made philosophies and religions and so-called cures of human problems, those things are under judgment. Our nation is under judgment. We have so shaken our fist in the face of God that we have Looney Tunes in Washington. They can't, even, they can't even decide what a woman is. Thank God for women. <laughs> it's a gift. My daddy used to say, 
God didn't take a woman from a man's head that she would rule over him, nor did he take her from his foot that he might crush her and walk on her. He took her from his side that he might comfort her and that she might comfort him. I'll tell you, don't get me started on what a woman is. Your woman will make your teeth sweat. What's a woman? Here we are. We're under judgment. I'm telling you. These, these, this mindset is beginning to rule our nation, which will finally bring us down. My point being, finally and ultimately, those things that are made of man in this world system will ultimately collapse, ultimately because of who they are and from whence they came. Ultimately, they must, regardless of their beginning, they must finally come against Christ because they cannot submit to his rule. You know, if you come to Christ, you submit to his rule. You have to admit that you're a sinner. You can't do things on your own. You need God. You need the Word of God. You need the Christ of God. You need the salvation of God. You need the redemption of God. Otherwise, we cannot live. We're consigned automatically to the lake of fire. Thank God, by grace, some are saved. The question is often asked, you know, what about those who have never heard? Well, number one, I don't know who they are. But I can tell you this, if God intends for them to hear, they'll hear. The question then is the follow-up. Well, does that seem right or does that seem fair that maybe people who've never heard would be sent to hell? I'll tell you, everybody's going to hell unless the grace of God intervenes. We're only saved by the grace of God, and that's God's prerogative. The world system is judged, and it's judged at the cross because the Son of God had to come and die. Something, a price, had to be paid to appease God. Isaiah 53 tells us about it. Second thing about the cross now, the prince of this world will be cast out. Christ is going to go to the cross. He's going to be placed in a tomb and he will be resurrected. And by his power over death, he will defeat the power of the prince of this world. And the prince of this world has no authority and no power over those who are in Christ. None. He's cast out. Thirdly, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all to myself. All. Pantas. It doesn't say all men. It's all. It's neuter. It's, it's, here's what this means. Humanity around the world from every nation, 
tongue, kindred, tribe, language will be drawn to Christ. It's no longer an ethnic thing. It's no longer a Jewish only thing. It is a, it is, it is a salvation that reaches across all mankind everywhere. So the cross of Christ has been so effective that people from both hemispheres are saved. They're saved from the east, the west, the north, the south. They're saved regardless of what their ethnicity is. They are saved regardless of what their language may be because they have looked to the Christ who is lifted up from the earth on a cross. Now this he said signifying by what death he was about to die. When they lift me up on that cross with my death the salvation of heaven reaches around the world. The message of the cross carried around the world by the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Israel, it's very clear in the Old Testament, was called by God to be the priesthood of the world, to, relieve, to, 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 to show the world, reveal to the world the true and living God. And by the law, reveal to the world that although we are lost in sin and we cannot meet the standard of God, God has a way for our salvation illustrated by everything that goes on in the tabernacle and later the temple. This was to be their message to the world, but they turned inward to where they hated the world. And they failed and their failure is going to be declared, has been declared, is being declared by the Christ of God. That Israel had failed is in this declaration, you lift me up from the earth and all men everywhere will come to me. And I thank God for it. And this was the kind of death that he was about to die. The crowd has a five-fold response here. The crowd answered him, we've heard from the law that the Christ abides to the age that is forever. And how do you say that it behooved the Son of Man to be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? The first thing they do is declare their ignorance and hardness of heart. What has he been doing for three years? He has been declaring the true word of God. He has demonstrated the word of God. He is the word of God. He declares the glory of the Father in the miracles that he has performed. He's already said that. If you don't like me, he said earlier, consider the works that my Father has given to me that would be worked. Only God could do those things. So, in their ignorance... They pick and choose, W.A. Criswell once said, half infidels, half infidels believe that the Bible is inspired in spots and they are inspired to pick out the spots. 
Just to mention a few in the Old Testament. Psalm 22, Zechariah 12, Isaiah 53, Daniel 9. Those are the ones that just pop up in my... Those all are prophecies declaring the death of the Christ. The suffering servant of Yahweh who must die if my sins are ever to be forgiven. You put all those scriptures together, you have a perfect portrait of the cross and it is as though those prophets were at the very foot of the cross when God inspired them to write those things. They are dead to Christ. They've blocked off half or more of the scriptures to themselves and they admit their ignorance. Who is this son of man? Secondly, Christ then replies, yet a little while, the light is with you. Your opportunity is almost over. Walk while you have the light so that darkness might not overtake you. This is how the gospel, you remember this is how the gospel of John started. As a matter of fact, in the beginning was the word. The word was all things to him came into, it's, it's the account of creation in the New Testament. And you go back to the Old Testament. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Earth is now formed and void, darkness on the face of the deep. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now that's before the sun was created. Let there be light. And there was light. And God divided light from darkness. And God said, the light is good. So there are those who are in light in the light and those who are not, and they're in darkness. The darkness is rapidly falling upon Israel. Walk while you have the light so that darkness might not overtake you. Thirdly, and the one walking in the darkness knows not where he is going. Total rejection brings total ignorance, brings total hardness of heart, brings an absolute inability to be saved. There's only one way to be saved, and that's through Christ Jesus. And he brings us into the light. Otherwise, you're in darkness, you're blind, and you cannot see. Fourthly, while you have the light, Believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. And finally, Jesus spoke these things and having gone away, he was hidden from them. I cannot think of anything more tragic 
than to think that there would be those from whom Christ is hidden. This is why in my salvation, in the salvation that God has given to me, I'm so humbled and thankful and grateful and I must work for him. I must tell others because he has taken me out of darkness and brought me into the kingdom of light. I could not have made that journey alone. I couldn't make it at all. He brought me into it. And now in the light, I see the reality of things. I'm understanding more and more by the grace of God. I'm understanding more and more the absolute truth of God, which is found in his precious holy word. What's happening to Israel? What does it say? Having gone away, he was hidden from them. Though so many of the signs were done before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled that said, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's how Isaiah 53 starts. It is explained to us in the New Testament that Isaiah 53 references the Christ of God. It gives us a spiritual picture of the suffering Christ, the suffering servant of Yahweh and his death like a a lamb who doesn't have a thing to say. Now, Because of this, they were not able to believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and has hardened their heart. Lest they should see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory. And spoke concerning him. There it is. You can read it for yourself. You can go back to Isaiah 53. You can go back to Isaiah 6. You can read what is said. Pastor, are you saying that the Lord blinded their eyes and hardened their heart? I'm not saying that. There it is. But let's put it in its perspective for the sake of those of us who are here. Let's say that you came into this service, unbeliever, Christ rejecter. The word of God divides people. Christ divides people. He's already said so earlier in our earlier text that we've studied. I didn't come to bring you together. I came to, I came to set you apart from one another. Those who are in the light, those who are in the darkness, 
And so what happens? The sage of Proverbs says, he who is often reproved hardens his neck and is suddenly destroyed and that without remedy. Hardening of heart. God can harden hearts any way that he wants to, but one way he hardens hearts is that he reveals the lovely truth of Christ through his word and a rejecting heart is hardened against it. They were not able to believe God in heaven. I don't know this for a fact, but I may have experienced that in the presence of others. I may have experienced that from others through time. I may have been in the presence of others. I may have preached to those who just weren't able to believe. I wonder, I've spoken to so many people through the years and they'll laugh, they'll scoff, they'll turn away, they'll want to talk about anything. But the scriptures and the Christ of God, they get uncomfortable. They turn into another person when you begin to talk about Christ. I don't know. God knows. They were not able to believe because Isaiah prophesied it. He has blinded their eyes, hardened their heart, lest they should see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, repent. And then God would heal them, but they would not. You see, this is the end, this context, this part, this time of Christ's life is the end of Israel. As the Old Testament people of God. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and spoke concerning him. Isaiah 6 Isaiah talks about seeing the glory of his train filled the temple. He was high and lifted up. Who will I send? Who will go with me? I'm going to send you to people who don't care. They won't listen to you, but you got to go. That's basically the message that the prophet was given. Their hearts will be hard. And they'll treat you with cruelty. But you have to go. Hear my Lord, send me. It's not going to be pleasant. He would say again to another, he would talk about how the word of God is so sweet in the mouth, but bitter in the stomach because of what the word of God does. It breaks hearts and hardens hearts. It melts hearts. It stiffens hearts. The word of God, the centerpiece who is Christ Some are drawn to Christ. Others remain in their sins in darkness. Nevertheless, many of the rulers believed in him, but were not confessing on the account of the Pharisees so that they would not be put out of the synagogue for they loved the glory of men more than the glory of God. There's one of the things that one of the descripts that's mentioned in the end of the revelation, those who are on the outside and cannot come in. And among them are cowards. (laughs) 
I believe, but only this far. I'm not going to put myself in jeopardy. Would to God that those who call themselves Christians today would not be afraid of being put out of the synagogue, whatever that synagogue might be. Because such reveals the truth that those love the glory of men more than the glory of God. Then Jesus cried out and said, the one believing in me believes not in me, but in the one having sent me. I have come into the world as light so that everyone believing in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I came not that I might judge the world, but that I might save the world. That's why Christ came the first time. The one rejecting me and not receiving my words has one judging him. What is that? The word which I spoke, that will judge him in the last day, judged by the word of God. We've been reading it. We've been studying it. For I spoke not from myself, but the Father himself gave me a commandment of what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, what I speak, as the Father has said to me, so I speak. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the message of heaven. There is no other message from heaven for us that we might be saved. There is no other Savior. There is no other way. This is Christ's great message to those who were depending on their works to save them. Their so-called obedience to the law, their, their, their so-called traditions and behavior and code of ethics and mannerisms and all the what they wore, what they did, expecting all of that to be their salvation. There is no other way and the very word of God is what will condemn them in that final day when all come before judgment. And it has come from the Father himself. We'll stop there. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. Listen, if you've come here without Christ and you know that the Lord is calling you into his salvation, as you leave this service in just a moment after the benediction, we have deacons and their wives waiting for you right across the hall as you exit to pray with you about the call of God in your life to be saved. Maybe you're here and you're already a Christian and God leads you to come and be a part of our congregation. They're there to talk to you about that. We'll take care of all of the details if you come as a believer to be a part of Shiloh. Oh, we'd love to have you. Well, now let's stand. We'll be dismissed. I want to remind you there are no services or activities here tonight that we might spend our time with our families on Father's Day. Pray for us.